when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. My first hours with Red Dead Redemption 2 were a little bit of everything. I went hunting, played poker, made fires in the desert, and slowly picked away at everything but the story. I cleaned weapons, skinned deer, and crafted stat-boosting foods. I eagerly searched the pockets of the dead in hopes of finding an expensive watch to buy goods for the camp and increase morale. A dozen hours into the game and Arthur's pockets are overflowing with cash. I'm only halfway through the game, I just hit episode 4 and there's nothing else to buy. The story keeps telling me we're poor and cash needy, but I've got thousands to spare. This got me thinking. Maybe none of this shit actually matters. Those were the words of Patrick Klepek, uh, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 212. I am your host, Austin Walker, still with the bad voice. <laughs> Joining me, <clears throat> Patrick Klepek himself. Austin, bad voice Walker. I That's like me, it. one of my new AKAs, bad voice. <laughs> Also joining us, Rob Zachney. I made that reading suspenseful. It's like, is Austin going to be able to complete this paragraph? Am I going to get through it? Like... Patrick wrote a long piece, and now I, and I picked a long paragraph to read from it. What a fool. <laughs> uh, that was from your piece, It's Surprising How Much of Red Dead Redemption 2 Doesn't Actually Matter, which we summarized a little bit on Monday, but I'd love to hear you kind of touch on it a little bit broader before we dig in to a big conversation about open world games, why we play them, what we want from them, and what we'd like to see from them in the future. Yeah, so, uh, like, uh, over the holiday, I, as I mentioned on Wayport Radio earlier this week, um, decided to die back into Red Dead because I had a couple of actual pure holiday days where my uh, kid was at daycare, my wife was gone, and so I could really, like, there just aren't many times these days outside of I'm reviewing a game and I'm going to play it all day during a work day where I have, like, right, unfiltered right. access to a game, and, um... That is just a genuinely new new thing for me over the last two and a half years to have a day like that. Um, and so I found that the open world stuff wasn't doing much for me. Like, you know, there were the sequences early in the game where it's like, oh, we're going to drag you to each of the different systems through a story mission so that you get a, a glimpse of, like, all the stuff that's kind of happening out here and then – uh, you know, go back to the story stuff or do whatever you'd like to do. Yeah, and like so, chapter two is basically a big tutorial. Yes, exactly. Um, and then when I, re- I returned to the game, I was like, okay, like, if I'm going to see more of this game, and uh, even though it hasn't really landed with me, I do want to see more of it just so I have it in my head of this game uh, just because it, it, maybe it'll end up being very important to the future of all sorts of different video games. And I'd like to have a point of reference that is, is seeing that game to its completion. And so I said, all right, well, I'm just going to focus only on the story stuff. And by doing that, it clarified so many of 
what I found to be weaknesses, but I think other people will will, will argue otherwise. And Austin, you may argue otherwise. I think we approach it open world games pretty differently. Um, mm-hmm. Is that you know you don't have to upgrade your gun. You don't even have to clean your gun. There are no uh, things put in place. Your your gun will not misfire. It will not. Um, suddenly, uh, you may require two bullets, uh, or three bullets instead of two, but generally, especially given this is a combat system where it's just lock on, pull the button, and, like, move on with your life, um, those sorts of systems all of a sudden disappear as a necessity and are only exist, uh, to exist. They exist because right. games are supposed to have a weapon upgrading system, but often those upgrades are along a path in which you're incentivized to either strategically because an enemy requires it or because you need to become more powerful because the enemies are more powerful. And in this game, it's all flat in a way that I found myself engaging with because, well, it's here. I should pick up a new gun. And then realizing, oh, I, 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 I don't, I don't actually gun. need to. The game is not actually asking me to, it's not putting any barriers in, in my way. It's just saying, I don't know. That it also doesn't help. There's, so there's no gun. way to put, there's no way to just put up the stats for two guns next to each other. No, so the, the, the UI really hurts th- this yes. a lot. Yes, it, it, it makes it so because there is no hard incentive. Um, the soft incentive of just what would I prefer is removed or made made harder because the comparisons are difficult. And so that is combined with, um, you know, we have you know discussed at length um, our, our how uncomfortable we have felt with the labor conditions in which. Um, this giant open world was constructed. You can read more about that, you know, at Kotaku's lengthy piece about the development of this game in addition to the many pieces and podcasts we have done on that subject. Um, what I found shocking was that when you stick to the story, all those other subsystems, the, the hunting, the fishing, the the weapons, like none of it is linked into that part. It is all just window dressing if you are in and focusing on the story. And I found that to be very interesting. Um, and this is sort of all tied into my broader point at the end, which is sort of like, what I tried to do with the piece is not to say, I think this game is crappy for the things that it does. It was more to contextualize how I play video games. And this is something that was right. true before I was a father. This is something that was true before my, my spare time was more constricted, is that, uh, you know, the, 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 the analogy I use in the piece is that, you know, I loved building Legos as a kid, but I wanted to follow the directions. I wanted to, like, build the castle and, like, here's step one, step two, step three. If you put a pile of Legos in front of me, I stared at it blankly. I didn't know what to do next. Or at least I made the same thing over and over. If you look at the doodles in my note, my reporting notebooks, it's just the same kind <laughs> of lines over and over again. I am incapable of doing stuff like that. It's just not, re- it's not built into my bones. And yet... I love being thrust into uncomfortable situations. I love engaging with those worlds, but I require, I'm the type of player that needs the game to prod and push me in that direction, which is why games like Breath of the Wild, where, look, your weapon's going to break. Oh, are you using a cool metal sword? Motherfucker, it's lightning out, and that's going to zap your ass. And so those things do not exist. Those tensions do not exist in Red Dead, and I found that to be surprising once I acknowledged that and, like, wrote it down to be like, wow, huge parts of this game that make me uncomfortable with how they built don't even matter to me as the player. They are, to me, someone who's going to spend 60 hours playing this game, completely optional and extra. And that made me, uh, it left me in a weird place with that game. Sure. Before I dig in, Rob, did you have a similar situation? I, I know we haven't spoken about your playing Red Dead in probably a month and a half. I don't know if you've kept up with it. I don't know if, if, if any of this lands for you. Uh. So the thing that Patrick just said, even though the portrait, the self-portrait he painted is pretty bleak uh, of 
<laughs> a man without imagination. Uh, yeah. I confess that I recognize a great deal of myself in it as well. Uh, mm. I was the, if I have a Lego set that like can be turned into a pirate ship, I'm going to build that pirate ship. Pirate ships are cool. Like, now I got a pirate ship, I follow the instructions, and I can have pirate battles with it. Uh, I was not the sort of person where I just break the tools apart and construct some entirely new creation out of it and create some kind of new world, some kind of new play experience. So I am similar in that vein, and I am actually really curious, Austin... How you relate to these systems to put it to back the, on me? <laughs> yeah, because I know you are that sort of person, right? Dude, you, like, you, yeah, you I like really State am. of Decay too, which I think is an almost which Herculean you think is one task. One of the worst games, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh huh. Um, so, I mean, for me, this digs into the question of like, what do we mean when we say matter? Um, and and what I'll say is, I'm I'm split on it in a real way because when I think back to our Waypoint 101 of Red Dead Redemption One, one of my big sticking points was there's no reason to go do the hunting. Right? I said. You know, when I first played this game 10 years ago or whatever, eight years ago, I loved, I did all the hunting. I unlocked all the outfits. I did all the, the side shit. I collected all the herbs, even though I didn't need to. I did all the, the you know, sharpshooter challenges, even though they didn't give me a reward. Um, and now it felt bad to do those things because they didn't give me a reward. Because they weren't latticed in with the rest of the game. And so there is part of me who agrees with you, Patrick and Rob, when the, when I look at this game and I look at like the, the gun upgrades or the gun customization or the horse up customization, so much of it is besides the point. And I do think that thematically speaking, Arthur being rich as shit and like <laughs> spending his money on a new coat and then also giving a thousand dollars to the to the like the kitty back at camp and that doesn't reflect anything changing in the story is thematically inconsistent. I'm with you. But when I play Red Dead Redemption 2, I do it does matter to me in the way that is less about grammar and more about poetry. Um, I don't need these things to be punctuation. What I need is for them to be tools in a story I'm telling. And so I'll give you two big examples. You're into chapter four now, Patrick? Yes, St. Denise. St. Denis, yes. We're lined up. We're both in the same place now. There is a moment towards the middle of chapter three where time passes at great length. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Uh, Arthur has gotten the shit kicked out of him. Arthur, I'm not going to go into specifics of what happens, but Arthur just gets wrecked the fuck up. Just like, it's bad. And he gets out of a bad situation. Um, and then, because I just continue doing the story missions, one, one, his hair grows. Because it's been like some weeks later. Um, and then a bad thing happens. A couple of bad things happen in a row. I think the end of chapter three is like stunningly good, actually. I think like the, the big missions are really strong. Yes. And... Someone, someone important gets, gets, uh, something, something bad happens to someone important. And I decided while playing, I was like, you know what? Arthur is not going to cut his hair or his beard until we figure out this situation. Um, and that the hair and beard doesn't mean shit. No one cares that I have long hair and long beard. Um, the second thing that happened at the end of that, uh, the end of that sequence is I have been slowly like getting my favorite guns. And for me, it is preference. It is just like, oh, I like the amount of shots I can fire with this gun before reloading versus this one. It is not because of, um, this is better. It's not because it's mechanically, it makes these missions easier. It's because I feel like they're my, what my Arthur would fire. And I've been custom, customizing them to be black and gold. 
And there's a sequence at the end of chapter three where Dutch draws his gun and you can see it. And I realized I'd been customizing my gun to look like Dutch's like unconsciously, which is an extremely Arthur Morgan thing to do. <laughs> um, and those little things uh, on top of just like, I like thinking about those mechanics for me as, as styles of expressivity. I like going out hunting in that game for the sake of doing it. I agree, though, that it is not thematically entwined and is not mechanically represented in that main story th thrust. I think that that critique is is totally accurate, and it's easy for me to think that because it is. It's when I think about something like Breath of the Wild, be, it worked because it eschewed having that sort of strict story format. When I got to the the um, the Rito Tower, none of them were like we're going to talk about whether or not I had a steel sword on me. So it didn't matter if I had a steel sword on me. They they found a way for him to make it consistent to have all that playground stuff happening and also have their, their key story stuff happening. Um, and and at, at the best moments, it is when they, that stuff gets recognized. I think in Red Dead, the best moments for fishing are when you go out fishing with someone and there's a great bit of dialogue attached. I don't know if either of you have done those, but, but those are fantastic. No, I mean, there's one mission where they teach you the fishing mechanics and that bit was cool like it was actually yeah. like a nice moment between you know three of the most important characters in the story and it tied into the you know the goofy fishing like it was fine yeah. like um i guess it's so i think a lot of people took my piece to then say i was suggesting well some people take the indifference to be a strength right like that the fact that right. the world right. is indifferent to you is actually the point and that's yeah. fine um but i i actually think that is giving Rockstar too, too much, much credit, credit yeah. in that there are so many, there are easy ways, for, I'm not a game designer, so these are going to be bad ideas, but there are easy ways for me to, like, it is a, the recommendation I got from people was like, hey, like, when you're going in between missions, like, hold down the middle button on the PlayStation controller and go into cinematic mode. And it's like, okay, so what I should do is, like, ignore the world while yeah. I'm traveling between things because nothing interesting is going to happen between point A and point B. And so... There are so many easy ways for me to imagine where the game could have made the decision to have events that impress the world upon you in some way to encourage you, to entice you, to push you back into that world. Where it makes sense, right, we're like, right. hey, up front, we're going to give you X, Y, and Z, and then it's just there. But then it's just dropped. It is just completely forgotten. Like, what if a, a bear came through the camp and like, yo, all of our fucking food is gone. Like, you need to go out and like supply the camp. Or, like, there just aren't systems in place to drag you back into that world in a way that I find thematically incongruent with, like, this is a world where these things would happen. Like, things would run out. Random events would occur. A storm would blow through and fuck things up. And then you would suddenly be on your heels in a way that forced you to, like, go fish, to go I, there, right. to well, go, like to go rob a bank, like, to go, to go on right. a heist. And all these things exist just, to me, in a similar fashion to the original Red Dead, which is... Uh, in a checklist form. It's either a checklist where you're going to get a bunch of perfect hunting things because, well, you can upgrade your satchel, but you don't need to. You, you rare, you, you'd, I, I've you picking up everything and yeah, there is yeah, no yeah. time that I, I'm rarely using health. I'm, I don't have to craft any of the, you know, like, uh, uh, uh like the, the flowery stuff. The special or the, or the, right, right, right. Right. And so for, for if you are role-playing this game, I, right, which is I, what I, I, I do, right? Like right. there's part of me who likes to But the game also doesn't encourage, like, right, there are, no. there are ways where the game... All, what I'm asking for is like there are ways this game could have been designed to satisfy both ends of this. In but which I think there's a I think there's a, a more severe tension here, which is that 
this is a game where they want to tell the story. And yep. so they cannot make it so that you need to do the Witcher 3 thing of sitting down and turning your bullets into better bullets. I wrote about this in my first, the, the first of our letter series things, which is you can, you can turn any bullet into a better version of it by spending a few seconds kneeling down and hitting the X button, basically, to put an X across on the t- front of the bullets. It gives them it, one at a time, and it gives each bullet a damage boost. And, like, there's a world in which this is a game that demands you do that and I think that's never going to be the game that Rockstar makes because they want you to see their cutscenes and they don't want to produce a combat challenge that gives you that 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 could be a wall in that way yet at the same I mean actually I think it's it goes deeper than that in in a way that I think is pathological which is they also don't want you to play through the missions a different way than the way that they intended to well no I mean I failed I uh, I don't know if I mentioned it in the piece but like I failed a mission because I got on the wrong horse and it's not like the game has a piece of dialogue that says, hey, right. hey, Arthur, get, get, the get on the horse. horse. It just yeah. has no, like, mission failed. <laughs> like, reload checkpoint. I'm like, yeah, which okay. sucks. And, 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 and it's, it, it's it, there is such a tension between the world that they built, and especially when we consider the conditions in which it was built, and the fact that yeah. that doesn't yep. tie in with what they pitch as the main hook of the story. And so all that stuff just, like, worked its way in where... It's just a, it's just a, it's a very strange game and um, where there's a lot of things, much like there's lots of uh, checklisting to do things in the open world, the presence of mere systems also feels like checklisting as opposed to we are trying to build a certain thematic undertone for the player, for the character. It's more just, well... They had to build something because this game has been developed for seven years, so I guess you might as well give the player some other bullets to build. See, this is where I end up in sort of a space between y'all. Like, Austin, I totally do that stuff where, like, I end up making, adding, like, little role-playing flourishes to the yeah. way, Like, my Geralt, for instance, had sort of an ass-kicking style that he would adopt when it was uh-huh. time for, like, shit to really go down, right? Like, the entire, okay, like, this is going to be a serious mission... Lots at stake. Probably some people are going to get killed that I care about. Geralt always got a close shave before those missions. Okay. Right? Just like just like yep. just like fucking French paratroopers like dropping on Dien Bien Phu. Just yep. like just all right, here we go. This is we're we're taking this seriously. Not gonna if we're going to our death, like we're going to go to our death, uh, looking prepared for it. That kind of thing. Uh, there were certain Outfits you just keep wearing because hey, it looks kind of cool. It's not the best outfit I have, but I like right. it. Um, the thing that prevents me from really embracing a lot of that stuff in uh, Red Dead is that I could see, I could easily imagine a version of this where these games do entertain me. Like I could see my Arthur just kind of leaving camp and spending a few days hunting in the wilderness and that being fun. The mm-hmm. problem I run into a lot is that the systems are both a little too involved to make them as easily accessible as say they are in a Yakuza game where sure. you can just go to a place and do a really specific, albeit silly mini game uh, to your heart's content. And then you're spat back out into the main game and you go on your merry way. All the stuff in Rockstar is trying to be a little bit more simulational. It's trying to be yeah. a little bit more realistic. No, you have to really hunt. You have to track. 
No, you have to, you know, you have to, you have to play a real, you know, fishing mini game here. Um, but and you you do all that stuff through the interface you do everything else with, which is an important distinction between the yakuza yeah. and the the rockstar model, right? It's like your fishing pole is just another item in your inventory wheel that you could bring out whenever you want. Your your tracking mode you can go into whenever you want. They want that to feel um, intuitive and and on layer with everything else. Whereas the Yakuza model is like, you know what? I'm going to go play some virtual on, you know what? I'm going to go manage a baseball team, like, and switch. You're going to like switch into a different mode of play, which gives it a certain degree of buffer and lets it be maybe in, in player minds. It's like, okay, this doesn't matter. I'm just having a good fucking time, you know? And I think that's part of it. it makes it the the lift is lighter in Yakuza. It makes it more of a it, it it feels less laborious to engage with that stuff because you can opt in and opt out at will. Like I don't want right. to hit the batting cages for hours and hours and hours, but fuck <clears> it, I'll play play a few minutes and have a goofy interaction uh, while I'm out there. But with the Rockstar model, what I end up with are a lot of not quite mini games. They're more like uh, simulated elements within the world. That aren't mm-hmm. quite good enough for me to really get too invested in them. Like hunting is a good example. I, I've enjoyed hunting games. Again, like I cite The Hunter a lot. Like you give me a game that's all about listening to distant calls in the wilderness, uh, tracking through the brush. I'm there. I will do that stuff. But w- the way that is represented in Red Dead is as a very thick trail of breadcrumbs that you follow to an animal that you then dispatch. Yep. And you do that a couple times, and it becomes apparent, oh, this is what hunting is in this game. Unless you're hunting like a legendary creature, this is what hunting is. Uh, you follow a scent trail. You keep your, uh, you keep from being uh, upwind of the, uh, of, of, the, of the prey, and then you kill it. And it's not challenging, but it is time-consuming, and it's not terribly interesting either. And so I'm left with the system that, like, obviously some care went into this. There's a lot of it to do in this world. But why would I? Is it to realize my fantasy of being a cowboy on the frontier? Well, the experience then of being a cowboy on the frontier is represented in in Red Dead 2 is of a guy who does a lot of boring, trivial tasks ad ad infinitum. uh, And then occasionally cutscene plays and something real happens. Like, (laughs) it's not, it, it doesn't work for me because these right. things aren't really worth investing in and they don't They're not telling a story right like this is the kind of thing that austin you always talk about in terms of like where the, the open world yeah, the games that work remember yeah. it's like yep. red has a lot of things to do in its open world and although i have found myself not engaging with them because it doesn't ask me to even the times that i have i rarely find that it has produced a story out of that experience unless for you unless for you as the player the story is that that is a small act within a larger story that is part right, of the person you're wall. playing yeah. um but the so individual moment to moment is less likely to produce something interesting and the and the other stuff where you know we in our original letter series talking about all oh, these random events that occur that, tr- that they do try to sometimes pull you into that yeah, right those, like your, those your are the original things, your original bit of going to that city yeah. um was was built around one of those, but now I'm just running into the same ones over and over. And it's like, okay, well, you know, the magic Snake here. Bite has number broken. four. Yes. Yeah, totally, totally. I think there needed to be more of those, or needed to be they needed to be well, either maybe. Yeah, I don't know. And like, those systems the break all the time. That's the other thing, and not in not really in funny ways. Like I know there's this thing where 
people love their videos of video game goofs, video games breaking in weird ways. Patrick, you posted one in your article, uh, the, but uh, that is very illustrative. Rob, of, like, you sound like Andy Rooney. I just need you to know <laughs> people love their video game goofs. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, real talk. Like, I'm very Andy Rooney in a lot of a ways. Little bit. Like, I've always, I've always, a little bit. But I think my point is. <laughs> I have seen enough games break at this point that, like, something ridiculous happening in a game because a system malfunctioned or didn't interact. Right. Like, that's no longer new or novel to me. It doesn't, like, crack me up anymore. Uh, particularly in a game like Red Dead that is so often trying to get you to take it seriously, to invest in these systems. But constantly these things cease to work. Uh, the sheer number of times that you have one of these encounters in the wilderness that goes wrong because the game gives you all these little ways to sabotage your own intentions uh, for what you mean to do in this situation. Your Arthur like by Mort- punching a horse or by yeah, punching a person. Exactly, by by not clearing cargo in time for, right, for someone. Right. And and the, the story beat is, is kind of lost. Your Arthur Morgan uh, becomes a person who finds someone in need in the wilderness and accidentally just like pisses them off while they're apparently at death's door and they get up and walk away. And that's <laughs> and that will just happen in the game. And this happens enough in this game that again, it no longer feels like, oh, I'm in this world where like all these little narrative vignettes could happen at any time. There's the potential for that to happen, but more often than not, there are these little narrative vignettes that open up that the game will probably create a trapdoor in where the entire thing falls the fuck apart and that happens consistently enough that it discourages me from engaging that stuff because if i if i care about the people i run into in the wilderness if i if i say yeah this is a real world my arthur is a real character in this world then it's a really bleak game uh because you are just this charlie brown-esque fuck up uh, yeah. with things just going wrong all the time ar- around him and so what again i'm encouraged to do is maybe pay more attention to the main story, right? Because that stuff is so scripted that it probably won't fall apart quite as consistently. Uh, and and so I just find this game is doesn't reconcile a lot of its intentions and a lot of the systems it's built to support this idea of it being a cowboy simulator. They simply aren't very good. They don't bear the weight of that scrutiny. I don't care how many animation tricks or you know bespoke keyframes you added to this the world doesn't feel real and doesn't feel interesting for a lot of the experience so i think i think for me one thing is like i just haven't had that many problems with it in terms of those those side events failing i've gotten them repeating certainly at this point but by and large like the the ones that i remember really failing in a fucked up way are the things that are like the, there was the one time that the woman you just talked about this clearing cargo, trying to make space to put the woman on the back of the horse, and then she decides to walk away because it took me 35 seconds instead of 30 seconds. 100% with you on that one. But by and large, those things do fire for me. And I think part of it for me is – part of what makes it work for me is a a the 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 – whole of it is greater than its parts, right? The sum is greater than, 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 the, than the parts. There was a moment, um, I, I may have sent you all the video of this, about, you know, I haven't played the game now in probably six weeks, but six weeks ago, let's say, uh, in the middle of chapter three, where I had done some, like, heavy-ass shit and had gone to the little town. There's a town called Rhodes. Uh, it's kind of like a southern uh, town in, 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 you know, uh, in the middle of a bunch of old plantations. Um, and I rode out into the wilderness 
And it was like a beautiful, dewy morning. And I decided I'm going to turn off my HUD. I'm going to go into like the UI-less mode. And as soon as I did it, like the second I did it, a wagon in front of me exploded and I was ambushed. And there's no way that the game knew that what I was doing was drifting off into a morning reverie, but that is what I was doing and it's what Arthur was doing. And it was like this exact, like the timing on it is so fucking perfect. Um, it's like literally the UI drops, explosion happens. I'm off my horse. My horse like, you know, uh, uh, neighs and goes back on its hind legs, rears up. I fall off. I get into this, this kind of rolling gunfight. I fight my way through it. I go over. I pet my horse. I calm my horse down. It doesn't matter if my horse dies. I could get another horse in a second, right? Like, it, it, there are a million horses in this game, but this is my horse, and I like hitting the button that pets it and calms it down and says, like, okay, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. And that reminds me of something that I think gets to the heart of why some of these things work for me, which is I don't necessarily need a choice to be – a game that has choices that have mechanical repercussions are, are great. I like making games like that. I like playing games like that. My favorite open world games do that stuff. And we'll talk about that in the back half of the podcast. But there's also this other thing I like that games can do. And, and my favorite version of it is actually not from an open world game. It's from a um, an adventure game, uh, Kentucky Route Zero Act 3. Have either of you played that game? Mm-hmm. No. Um, do you know the song sequence, Patrick? Yes. So there's a sequence, Rob, that, that takes place inside of like an old truck stop turned bar turned live venue that turns into a rolling kind of synth pop ballad. Um, and you pick the lyrics out as you play. And it is, it doesn't matter what lyrics you pick. You can pick the top answer each time. Uh, you see this in something like um, uh, A Night in the Woods. You see this uh, in, in a lot of advent- contemporary adventure games where the choice you're making does not actually change the outcome. But the choice is an expression of player intent. It, it is a way for you to mark the game with who you are. So when I'm customizing Arthur's guns, whether that is giving them a longer barrel or giving them the gold you know, uh, inlay or whatever that is, it doesn't fucking matter, except it matters to me as a way to collaborate with the game and produce an effect in the game as stage. Um, and I think that that is something great games do, and and increasingly, it's something bad games do. And that's interesting, because it means that that style of expressivity isn't, like, it it isn't something special. And I I, I say this about games a lot. I I completely ruffle at the notion, like, I get all like, ugh, whenever I hear anybody say that games are the most important medium in the world, or that games can do things that other other things can't do, because I actually think that 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 perspective um, makes you, it limits your ability to, to, play around in the medium of game. Games should be ordinary in a sense. We should recognize their ordinariness because they're everywhere. They're all around us. We're always playing games. We're always making games, whether those are counting games when you're waiting for the bus or whether those are games of imagination when you're a little kid and you're pretending to be an X-Man. Like, you're constantly playing games like this. And and for me, the, the idea that a game that I think maybe isn't great, like Red Dead Redemption 2, can still give me that style of play where Red Dead Redemption 1 certainly didn't. Red Dead Redemption 1 let me, like, you know, pick different guns and maybe even do a little upgrade, but it didn't let me perform this style of sort of, like, agentic stage play. Like, that style of improv is a good sign for games in general because it means that, you know, the types of play that are that are people are putting money into the types of uh, the types of play that are becoming worth investing in are broadening out now hold that against the labor concerns and i think 
my interest in games as stage play and my interest in games as a medium where and, and, a, and an industry where people should be paid well for their work and should not be exploited, etc. And that's a, that's a, becomes a much harder conversation because then it, you end up wanting to make the very efficient decision to instead make sure that people are only working on the stuff that quote unquote matters, you know? Anyway, that was my, yeah. I think, my big final statement on this one. We should take a break. We've been going for a little bit. Let's come back. Let's talk about game, open world games in general. I'm really curious what has worked for the two of you. So when we come back, we'll talk about that. BRB. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, we are back. Patrick, Red Dead Redemption 2, the open world stuff, the side stuff didn't work for you. Is there a game where the side stuff did work for you? Or is this a bigger picture, like stuck in your craw thing you're waiting for some game to get right? No, I mean, I th- you know, it's a classic example, especially for, you know, a waypoint. But I, I think back to, uh, you know, Far Cry 2 as sure. a game that, you know, was very conventional in a lot of ways. But the ways that it wasn't were really interesting. You know, the fact that was it malaria is what you could contract in... Far Cry yep. 2, is that yep. right? Um, and the fact that if occasionally your bullets, your gun would jam um, in a way that you had to, like, clean it out. I think those are, like, interesting – those are interesting sort of bits that I that I think about in terms of finding ways to – like, often what I'm thinking about with Red Dead in relation to open world is complicating what I'm doing in the world. It's not necessarily that I need to run into specific systems. It's not that I need to have some sort of random event occur. That, but it is uh, a way of the game pushing back on the player. Like, Because yeah. I know I am the type of person that falls into habits. I know that I'm going to do the safer thing. And uh, I've tried to embrace video games that push me. In those. You know, I think this is a, a huge part of my appreciation of Souls and Spelunky. Um, and I like it when... Open world games, even ones that are or have a story, um, to sort of like string you along in between those things, find ways to make you uncomfortable. And I think like that's like if I was to like narrow down even more on my point with Red Dead was like it it really it never tries to make me feel uncomfortable as a player. It it, it very much is an old school handholdy. We want to make sure you get from point A to point B because boy, we spent a lot of time doing this. Um, and I, you know, I think we've seen in the years since, like a, you know, post Gears of War and stuff like that, more developers trying to find ways to to do both of those things is to find ways to complicate and make the player uncomfortable, even while you're trying to get them from point A to point B. And so those are the little things that I think about as someone that still, you know, even in games like Breath of the Wild, I am primarily going to play the story, but I have lots of little stories along the way right. you know, because the game found <clears throat> moments to grab me by the shoulder and like force me into a different direction. Um, and, and it's the game identifying, like there are some games that just 
here it is. Go, go, you know, do it at will. It's all up to you. And I just know that I'm, because I'm not that type of player, I will just ignore those things. And I appreciate games that recognize, I think, you know, the response to my article suggests there are a significant number of players that do play that way and they rely, and maybe this is because of the way games have been built for so long, they rely on the game to intervene and I've been conditioned that way. And so I appreciate games that, you know, Far Cry 2 is, is you know, more on the frustrating end of what that is. And I even heard from some people saying like, well, the Breath of Wild stuff like pissed me off too. Like yeah. I got tired yeah. of my weapons getting broken. I got tired of getting electrified or, or having to wear uh, uh, cool clothing. But I, I think like Breath of the Wild is like a softer version of like the frustration that Far Cry 2 um, was trying to put on the player. But I I appreciate it when more games intervene in in that way to produce those moments of spontaneity when you have players that are not likely to take those chances themselves, either because they don't know how to, which I think I really do put it on myself. I just don't know how to do that. And mm-hmm. I've always, I've said multiple times in this podcast, I watch people like Vinny Caravella play a video game. And I'm just like, I don't know how you get into these adventures. I li- right. mm-hmm. The game didn't do it. You did it. Um, and, and I'm built differently. And so I appreciate when games like a Far Cry 2 or Breath of the Wild find those ways to pull me into those systems that are technically optional, but it, it finds a way to push you in that direction to stress you out as the player, even if you're doing your best to kind of like just do the objective to objective uh, run. That's a really good point. Uh, and that's something I would definitely echo as well. Anything that forces me off of any game that allows me to fall into a really rote and successful mm-hmm. standard operating procedure means that however big that world is going to be, the game is going to begin to feel small because yep. I'm just going from point A to point B doing the same shit I was before and just applying it to a new space. Uh, a game that forces me to confront different situations to play with different uh, you know, tools, mechanics, uh, different environments. That's stuff that I really value quite highly in a game. But for me, I suppose, the thing I think about a lot is that for me, what I want isn't necessarily an open world game, but what I do want is some kind of uh, almost hub and spoke experience, some mm. sort of non-linear mm-hmm. experience. Like the uh, the Deus Ex games, pretty much any of them are good examples of this. They're not open world games, but they do give you the sense of inhabiting a world where you can transfer between scene to scene, location to location. And each one has its own stories unfolding there that interweave with things happening elsewhere in the world. Uh, You go to a place and you don't just do one thing in sort of the Rockstar model where it's a waypoint on the map. You go and you you do one thing and trigger the next scene and things change. Instead, it's a game where you go to a place and you learn about how people, like, what's happening there? What's Who are the people? What is the story happening here? That is the stuff I really enjoy. I think one of the things that is frustrating about The Witcher 3's influence on game design uh, since it came out is, and I'm, I'm very curious uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, what the hell ends up happening with Cyberpunk. Right. But The Witcher 3, I think... The open world is impressive, but I think if that's what you took away from The Witcher 3, you probably missed the point. Because The Witcher 3, actually, in terms of playing it, feels an awful lot like The Witcher 2. It feels an awful lot like a game with distinctive sort of 
narrative arcs and passages that you go through and you go to places and you get involved in a whole host of things. You don't just go and talk to one person, but you unfurl right. this enchi- entirely new setting and these new characters that you then have to deal with. Witcher 3 it's has a bunch of interlocking hubs. Pardon? Yeah, totally. It's a bunch of interlocking hubs yeah. that then have little story like spokes on each one. Yeah, totally, Witcher 3 totally. just didn't abstract away the gaps between those hubs. Uh, right, it actually, let you actually travel. Yeah, yeah. And, and cool stuff would happen on those roads. Like, villages would have interesting vignettes as well. But primarily, it did follow that that hub-and-spoke model. And maybe you'd have to go out and hunt a special monster once in a while, which was its own thing. But uh, right, it still right. felt an awful lot like The Witcher The Witcher 2. Uh, and I think, that's, I think ultimately that is why that has worked. That is why that world feels real. It's not because it's fucking big. It's not because there's a bunch of shit on the map that you have to clear out. It's because there are like places and people that feel convincing that you then go right. and you change their arc. You change their story. I feel like that the two of you have hit like opposite ends of the spectrum of solutions for the same thing, which is, or, or, or in some ways, open world games of this style are, there are major story beats and those have to be good or the thing connecting them has to be good and interesting. Ideally both, right? Like on one side, I think like Far Cry 2, I love Far Cry 2, my favorite games, blah, blah, blah. Those missions aren't like especially memorable. Like either no, it's a not a particularly good. We we talk about the gun stuff and the malaria yes. stuff because yes. the actual like like well, and story and game were you know there's some uh, fun there's some. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's all stuff, a wash, but, but it's but it's, it's not. But it's a first person yeah. shooter. It's an open. It's, yeah. it's a first person shooter. You go into a a weird place. You go into like a, a tiered. Um, you know, uh, uh, place filled with corrugated steel and you shoot a bunch of people and then you do that again and again and again for the entire game. Um, but your gun breaks sometimes. And so what you decide to do is go do a mission for the weapon dealer so that you can get the diamonds you need to buy the we- a version of the weapon that won't break down. And like that systems driven stuff that gives you a reason to progress through character upgrades mm. and weapon upgrades that are important to keep you feeling a sense of momentum through that game's story. On the other hand, you have The Witcher 3, which is like, yeah, there is a progression system, obviously. Yes, you're upgrading things. Not particularly quick at first. And instead, you are focused on, when I get there, the thing is so good and often so unique and so different. It is not just a Red Dead Redemption 2 firefight. It is, you know, a, a system, it is a, a dialogue challenge. It is a a mystery. It is. It is. You know, a, really just a story about a, a family falling apart. It's a fight against a monster. It's a fight against a bunch of different bandits. Like all sorts of different things inside of the the possibility space as to what you're doing. And for me, this is part of why like Breath of the Wild did so well for me is that wherever I went, there was something different. Now I'm not saying there's not re- repetition, right? Like how many of the same Korok puzzle did I do uh, six hundred times? Like yeah, I lifted the rock and there was a Korok seed underneath, but each of those, each of the temples, uh, not the temples, each of the, the shrines um, offered a slightly different puzzle variation or a different combat challenge. Every town was filled with little missions and quests for people that ranged from going to find hidden treasure somewhere behind a waterfall to trying to collect weapons to give to this kid because they reminded him of, their, of his grandfather. Um, and those would send me back out into the world on a weird adventure. And those things, that to me was like the best version of it because... For me, Breath of the Wild also did 
the stuff that I like about Red Dead Redemption to some degree, at least. Um, did you see the, the the concept art of the horse stuff that was being passed around from this new Breath of the Wild art book this week? No. It's very funny. One second, I'll, I'll paste it in here. It's it's from one of the designers who was doing the horse design, and it says rough concepts, <laughs> pointless stuff. I want the horses to do one cheek nuzzling. I don't know how we're going to do this, and it goes on. And you know, the horse will oh, eat items. Great. The horse will shake water off of it. This is all very hark of vagrant time. cartoon style too. Yeah, just that is like exactly, a boy yes, and his horse. That is exactly right. Yes, a hundred percent. And it's great. And most of the stuff didn't make the cut. In fact, most of the stuff is in Red Dead Redemption 2 and is not in Breath of the Wild. But somehow, because of the general vibe of Breath of the Wild, all of this stuff feels like it was there in some way, you know? You um, can tell and, someone that was there and they would yes. believe you even if... And they might say it happened to them even if it didn't. Even if it didn't, right? Even if you didn't actually feed the horse in this specific way or if it didn't... It might shake shake the water out. In fact, it says, this should be doable next to that drawing. <laughs> and And... This is the stuff that does not matter in the capital M sense that you mean, Patrick, in the sense yep. that, like, it doesn't matter if the horse shakes out the water, but it extremely matters if the horse shakes out the water. Um, and and in a game like Breath of the Wild, the thing that was so good for me was that stuff combined with don't use metal swords in thunder or metal swords in thunderstorms. It combined with okay, if I get the Ravali's Gale, I can ignore the rain because I can just jump super high and can climb things that way. Like all of that stuff wove together in a way that both the ends and the and the, the path there were always entertaining and were, were always able to, to produce some effect on me that made me feel like I was adventuring. Um, the, the only other thing that comes close actually takes the opposite uh, thing for me. I mentioned on Monday that I've been playing Dragon's Dogma again, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen, which, by the way... Coming to Switch this April. Coming to Switch this April. The timing on that announcement is unbelievable. <laughs> we had so no foreknowledge. None. Yeah, 100%. None. Please no be clear. I promise. Um, the, <laughs> otherwise, I would have waited. Otherwise, I'd be like, yeah, I'll just play it in April when it comes out yeah. on Switch. Um, the the That game is not interested in big interlocking systems of weather and rain and weapons breaking. But what it is interested in is giving me lots of fun tools to just play with in terms of combat and giving me a combat system that I really like and make it. Well, there's day night. That's like there about is day night. It. That's true. There is like the, the nighttime is that extremely is dangerous. You don't want to be wandering. But like that's a very it's very clear, right? Like it's yeah. it has one major thing that the world shifts on, which is that if you happen to be out there at night the enemies are going to be really high level. It's really yep. hard to see. They make yep. the world like very dark in places. And so if you have not prepared yourself for that, and this is especially true in a version of the game that made fast travel a lot uh, harder to pull Yeah, the original off, version. Early parts like, of the game. do it. You were, yeah. yeah, you were constantly uh, either monitoring when you were going out or like wasting time for uh, – time actually became a consideration in a way where it was a weight in a, in a way that uh, – was probably too frustrating in its original version, yeah. but it was one that, in a Far Cry 2 sort of way, I appreciated as much as I was swearing at the game, going like, "This isn't that fun," but I spot, I like what you're going for. And I, I, I like you to keep scratching at this. Yeah, there were days when I would play that game where there there are missions I would take where I'm like, "This is a long trip for me. I'm going to I'm going to sleep until nighttime, get and then like leave because I know the area around the castle well enough, and I'll travel that part during the night so that when the sun rises, I'll be in the strange place and I won't be getting jumped by super goblins or whatever, you know? Um, and that's really fucking cool. Uh, and I think that like that game, part of it too was like a sense of mystery. And I think, again, this is something that when it works, Red Dead has this. Um, you find a strange abandoned house in the middle of the woods where there's some sort of strange ritual that must have happened inside of it. Um, but But... 
by and large, it feels like known space. And Breath of the Wild, Dragon's Dogma, those games really made me feel like at any moment, I, even even The Witcher 3, like, oh shit, like, I don't know what is around the next corner. The possibility space is very large. Well, and I, one thing I will say about The Witcher 3, especially, you know, Red Dead is a UI catastrophe for, for all sorts of reasons that I think exasperate, like, basic design yeah. problems the game yeah. has. It makes them so much worse because the UI is 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 so terrible um i was looking at the witcher 3 map and witcher 3 is also a game that like really really clicked for me um you know even though it's not a game about like you know interlocking uh uh, sort of like randomization that's happening along the world it's a lot of like pre-built content that you're coming into i really love the fact that there are just all these exclamation points on the map and that can be looked at as clutter but instead what i saw that was like possibility and especially that's where that game found a middle ground for me, which is that um, it got me to go explore things off the beaten path that weren't the story. Right. Um, there were there were going to be other things. Now, it helped that that game was, like, full of, like, high-quality, really good handcrafted stuff that, like, often went in wild directions that, like, you did enough of that that you felt like, okay, this game is going to hit more than it's going to miss if I take the time to go investigate this. But I, you know, this, you know, the thing about like a, you mentioned about finding a ritual in a cabin, like because the game gives me no incentive to explore outside of hitting cinematic mode and then just trotting from one mission to the next, I am likely to miss the vast majority of that stuff. And the mere presence of an exclamation point that if you didn't like it, just, you can just filter it off. It doesn't have to be on your UI. You can find that stuff organically um there are you know the stranger missions and stuff like that like it has a little bit of that but my guess is i'm going to miss that miss out on so many cool things because on like a ui level the game is unwilling to commit uh to give me some sort of incentive to go in that direction and like it's just really interesting to look at this witcher map and see all these exclamation points and remember how exciting it was to see a hundred of those because Mm -hmm. it's like okay that gives me a reason to move in these directions that are different than my primary goal of just going to the next story beat. Um, right. and, and Red Dead just really lacks that um, across the spectrum, but even just on a basic level of like little side stories that it's putting away, I'm sure is very cool to, to come across on your own. But my guess is if I was incentivized to see some of that stuff, even if they weren't, even if they were hiding lots of it, right? They weren't making all of it visible. But by incentivizing me to see some of it, I would probably come across more of more it, of it yeah. on my way to that. And the game just really lacks that. The, you know, a thing that I, I think is probably worth talking about here are the games we haven't actually brought up as the ones that might actually be... So, like, you talk about the exclamation points. And the thing that comes to my mind then is, like, the ones that have made me not want to play a game. When I played Horizon Zero Dawn, I <clears> bought <throat> one of the upgrade or one of the things yeah. at a shop that added all of the the collectibles to the map by mistake. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, I can't play this game anymore. My map is cluttered with all sorts of bullshit and none of it matters. And that was one of yeah. my big problems with Horizon Zero Dawn in general. I think that like there's some all right stuff in that world here and there. Um, I think the combat was like pretty okay, but I, I found some pretty strong strategies early on that made a lot of it kind of nothing for me. It's a better point A to point B story game yes. than it is a that happens to take place in a world as opposed to the world being like fundamental to 
the story that it's telling. Right. Well, we also haven't talked about, like, the biggest open-world game manufacturer there is. Outside of, we talked about Far Cry 2, but we haven't talked about Far Cry's 3 through New Dawn, and we haven't talked about Assassin's Creed, the huge series. We haven't talked about Watch Dogs. Ubisoft makes these games nonstop. And by and large, they're not interested in this, like, intervening system stuff no. that I can think of. Rob, you've played a lot of the most recent Assassin's Creed games. Am I missing anything? Is there? I guess, I guess the the um, bounty system in Odyssey kind of is the is the the fly in the ointment. Yeah, uh, but even that still feels a little bit like it's being borrowed from uh, Origins uh, when the sure. when, when the bounty hunters would show up. It's a, now it's tied to the uh, sort of nemesis system. That Odyssey right, right. really uses, perhaps overextensively. Uh, I don't know. Like the Ubisoft example is interesting. I was thinking about this as we were talking. I was like, on paper, I don't think or like Assassin's Creed Origins would have addressed a lot of my problems, and yet I was happy to play it. Whereas right, Odyssey, exactly. I chafed, and I still chafe when I play it. Like I've I found there, there's a lot of beauty in that game. There's a lot that I like. I think. Uh, Cassandra is a fun character and has a good sense of humor in that world. But for some reason, Assassin's Creed Origins is very much a game where there can be not a whole lot to do. Then you go to a place where there's a ton of icons on the map. Uh, the story missions unfold pretty by the numbers. And yet I adored Origins. And I loved spending time in that world. And I did not feel that same way uh, in Odyssey. And Odyssey tries to jam more shit in there and tries to have this idea of you being stalked through the world by bounty hunters, this idea of there being, if not immediate consequences for your actions, at least there being a rising heat level in a way that I think Red Dead quite badly misses, right? Like Red Dead sort of, I think, cleaves too much to the old Rockstar model of you're either being pursued with immediate threat or you're kind of ignored and alone in the world. Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey tries to give you the sense of you can be at any moment off doing your own thing, and then bounty hunters roll in, and now they're in the mission space. And what do you do with that? That is a cool thing, and yet Assassin's Creed Odyssey ends up feeling busy uh, in in a way. And I I think it's... Interesting to me that Origins, which seems kind of stripped down uh, from that in a lot of ways, succeeds for me as an open world game in a way that Odyssey, which has more uh, elements of persistence, of, of, of consequence, of, of meaning in that open world, ends up missing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. I think that one of the things that ends up being weird for me when I think about their games is that when they're at their best, you end up feeling like you have a lot of variety in how you can solve problems. I think about Watch Dogs uh, 2, um, which... Did either of you end up putting real time into that game? No. no, I got enough distance from it that I... Now I'm just curious, really curious to see what they do with the third one. Yeah. Did you stick to your Uber hacker rules? Me? Um, the, the rules that I that I set up for where like, for I don't the kill anybody? Watch Dogs, yeah. Um, not really. Uh... No, I don't think I did because I was playing it for review or not review because we were Waypoint pre-reviews at the time. But um, I was like, I have to get through this fucking thing. Um, but I did. I what I did. But here's what I will say is actually, 
Yes, but not because I was being... I guess I should set this up. I wrote about the first Watch Dogs years ago for Paste, in which I um, explained that I played that game with a desire to never kill anybody, which in the first Watch Dogs is especially hard, because that is a game where you were supposed to kill some motherfuckers. Like, that is a game that is like, oh, this is this is a shooter that has some hacking stuff in it. Watch Dogs 2 encourages you, in fact, to never pull a trigger. And now that I think about it, maybe I did, because... I remember some endgame stuff where I managed to get through it without shooting anybody that was like, you know, huge SWAT teams descending on me. But in Watch Dogs 2, you end up getting all these other little tools, little remote control drones and that can zap people or that can open doors or lock doors or trigger di- different things in the environment. And that stuff was fantastic, but you never use it in the quote-unquote open world. You only ever used it... Uh, maybe not never, you did it to like find collectibles or whatever, right? To open up gates and to climb towers, but you didn't do it to like fuck around and play in the open world that much. And I would love for that team to to figure out how to do more of that in whatever the next Watch Dogs is. Watch Dogs 2 is such a good blueprint for that series, and I'm hoping we find out more. I hope that there's a third one. I, my suspicion is we'll get a third one of those this year. Um, but that's that's instinct more than anything. Before uh, we... I- Ahead, well, I just wanted to say, like, just sort of as a sort of a, a closing point, I think like a lot of what uh, undergirds a lot of this is like the term "open world" means yeah. a lot of things to different people. I think yeah. if you were to give it an alternate word, it means choice. But then it's the application of that choice that changes so much between different games, right? So, like Watch Dogs, for a lot of games, open world means big ass map. Yeah, like that's it, right? Like it could. It, this this is a game that could have been a point A to point B, like you know, normal ass video game by the standards in which we designed them. Uh, you know, years prior. Um, but it really is just putting sp- just geometry in between those points in a, in a way that is that is no different than sort of like the hub model that we had, you know, starting with games like Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other things where like in Watch Dogs, like, yes, it has the big map, but like the choice, you know, really is actually more about like what are you, especially in two, it sounds like doing, like what are you doing moment to moment in yep. the combat? Like those are the choices that you're making. Um and I, I think we often use the term open world, and then the that the base level of that is just it's a map, and then it's like, well, what do they what do they do with that map? Because yeah, Ubisoft doesn't do systemic stuff; they just don't. Like they they are they are making very traditional action adventure games, um, but that choice may appear in the combat. But then, well, okay, what does it mean for it to call open world? Then it's just a big map where. So it's just it's just interesting to think about and, and to consider, yeah, like as we close this out, that I think the world the term. Like so many video game genres, um, open world, you know, uh, uh, means something to different people, which I think also contributes to sort of conflating, like, what are they good at? What are they bad at? Um, and what each game is trying to do. Where we draw those lines often makes no sense, you know? Um, I don't think anyone... Because open call... world isn't a genre. These are act, no. like th- like third-person action adjectives. games that yep. happen to take place yep. in a big map that we've called open world, you know, starting, you know, about around Assassin's Creed uh, 1, like maybe is, is sort of the advent right. the, of the, the open s- world. The switch from sandbox game to open world game is super important in some ways, right? Because, like, when I think about this, like, we, we're not talking about GTA 3 in this conversation because GTA 3, right. I mean, it does some of that stuff, right? Or we're not talking about uh, Elder Scrolls Morrowind, which was maybe the first game to help cement for me what I wanted from an open world, which was a sense of, of density of meaning, density of, like, 
oh wow, there's this place here, and this there's a farm here, and this farm has stuff for me to read and characters for me to learn about. And that game didn't have big system. Well, I guess it had some systemic stuff in the sense of like there are diseases that you can catch, and there are skills you can commit to crimes learn. and get and arrested. Totally, all that stuff. But like <clears throat> it was not doing uh, uh, weather systems or anything like that in in, in a in a meaningful mean in a in a way that impacted my gameplay in a memorable way. Um, but but when I think about those fundamental games, I think maybe that's maybe part of it too. Is like, where did you come into open world, quote unquote? At what that can drive what your what your expectations are in a real way. And I'm curious, maybe for both of you, what would you like to see in what types of worlds do you want to see? What types of actions do you want to take in the open worlds of 2019 and beyond? Before we close up, Rob, let's start with you. Oh gosh, like. For me, this is, do I want anything new? Not really. Do I want to see valuable things from the past applied more broadly? Like, stop broadening the scope, I suppose, of the world. I don't need mm. a bigger world. I don't need a broader right. world. I want a world with more, I don't know, more liveliness, more verisimilitude uh, mm -hmm. in it. Like, for me, there's a reason I bring up games like Stalker in every conversation like this. Because a lot of these problems that we identify, a lot of the things we want to see, a lot of the frustrations, a lot of these things have been addressed or solved or tackled earlier. And then those solutions are kind of ignored because, I don't know, perhaps because it is far easier to put a selling point on a game saying it is it is x big it is there it has this much to do uh it covers this much territory and, and, and terrain maybe, maybe that's easier and it's it's easier than building a world that has a lot of like interlocking systems within it but for me there's a reason that like i still play stalker a decade after its time right right and no games that have come out since despite vastly greater resources, budgets, stuff like that, have really displaced it as convincing worlds because they don't really apply its solutions, nor do they even see... They, a lot of them seem even naive of Stalker's design and its approach to these things. And so for me, like when when I look at, well, what do I, what do I want from the genre? What do I want to see it do next? I would like open-world games to recognize that earlier like non-linear hub and spoke style games were not mm -hmm. evolutionary stepping stones to get us to full open worlds but were in fact novel and useful design solutions to creating compelling settings and uh non-linear narratives uh apply those lessons bring them forward into uh open world games that's kind of what i want right like stop giving me unconvincing fake chicago uh as as a new setting like give me yeah. uh give me a game that recognizes that there is that there's more to a setting than a good skybox and a lot of empty terrain to crawl over yeah look at the hitman games right like hitman is not those are games that offer such a density of of like placiness that it doesn't matter that that those are six separate maps like being in in the, the Italian villa of um, why am I blanking on the name of the fucking Hitman One level that's so good Sapienza is like 
oh, wow, this little city, I, I see it. It feels, it moves, it breathes. And you, of course, you can't maintain that over the course of, uh, you know, a hundred by hundred square mile map or whatever, right? But but those spaces are things you could imagine being put together in a hub and spoke situation. That'd be really cool. Um, for my part, like, I feel very lucky right now in a weird way. We, I, you know, we are living in a world of Dragon's Dogma and Far Cry Two. We're living in a world of Breath of, Breath of the Wild. Like these things that for me felt niche are have come to in some way right like the idea that you can place some of that red dead redemption 2 stuff in line with far cry 2 more than with gta 3 is strange um uh, more so even with breath of the wild um i am so excited to see what people take from breath of the wild and the the ones the people who are who are kind of exposed to that style of design and how they move on it. And so more systems interlocking, more um, emergent gameplay stuff, but also just more quiet moments. Uh, the recognition that like you can create a space that is pleasant to be in or, or that is intriguing to be in. Um, and that, that is a style of, of gameplay itself. Right. Um, I think about stuff in the, the alt game scene and, and the, the indie scene games like burn band, which is a, uh, a kind of open world exploration of an alien city that's just like filled with people or um, a diaries of a spaceport janitor. These are, these are games that are like lower, lowercase worlds, right? Small you know, things you can explore in 30 minutes to an hour. Um, you know, diaries of a, space, of a spaceport janitor is a longer game. That's probably like eight hours long. Um, but that's a game that like communicated to me the entire feeling of this strange alien city with all of the music and all of the activity and strange religion and all sorts of weird stuff going on because it was dedicated to an atmosphere. Um, and so those are the big ones for me. It's like systems and atmosphere and, and, and more of that stuff. Even though I also love my skill trees, even though I also love my collectibles and upgrades, like if you're going to do the thing that Red Dead is trying to do with atmosphere – do it right and make it something that is that convinces even like I only build the pirate ship Patrick Klepik that it's it's cool to sit with those Legos at least for a little while maybe or, or to experiment a little bit. Um, all right, that is going to do it for us today. Well, I don't get to say anything. You know, you, do you want a rebuttal? Do you want a final? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Patrick. Uh, well, it, it, both of you sort of uh, took a uh, Breath of the Wild is like the fascinating like next ten years. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think we're going to find that. Um, Red Dead may have sold more, but Breath of the Wild is actually the game that yeah. ends up like sort of being like ah, like that was like the aha moment for a lot of people, especially folks that maybe didn't like open world games and yet found themselves in love with Breath of the Wild because it found a way to translate a lot of complexity in a very simple manner, which is like a very you know very Nintendo thing to do. Um, so I'm, I'm super curious where that pans out and and building on um, what Robin said is that uh, it's just a, there's an excess to. Uh, Red Dead and and even the new Assassin's Creed that um, is as good as as both can be in certain ways that I think a, a just more of a focus could benefit both of them. There's a there's a density I think that we both we, we all talked about in terms of what we get out of these these worlds these games that start with these big maps and where they go from there um, that uh, they they both would have benefited and more games will have benefit from just uh, achieving a scope and a, and a focus that. Um, finds more with less um, because uh, both those games in particular seem to just have, have gone such down to such an excessive route that I don't I don't know that you can argue that they're better for that. There's just more of them, um, and so 
Uh, I would certainly like to see the games pull back a little bit, and they can still be 80s hours long, but right. I think there are ways of, of doing both of those. Yeah, definitely. Smaller is not is not worse. Like I'm I'm happy to have those those little those little uh, experiences. Um, all right, that is going to do it for us today. I'm going to go rest my voice. I'm actually not. I'm going to go to play a, a video game. I think for an event, a upcoming open world action. Well, or perhaps it hub might and be spoke. more hub. It might be perhaps more hub and spoke. We'll talk about that next week sometime. I'm Austin Walker. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Rob? At Rob Zachney. How about you, Patrick? At Patrick Klubbuck. As always, you can find everything Waypoint does, waypoint.vice.com, twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice. Shoutouts to Kato for, uh, for, for producing. Uh, you can find Kato on Twitter at A underscore Kato underscore appears. And today, shoutouts to Bello for letting us use a track, the name of which I don't remember because I rarely ever am even on the Friday podcast. Uh, but you can find Mellow's music at uh, Two Mellow Makes on twitter and mellowmakes.bandcamp.com or did i get those backwards today i'm checking i'm checking the internet i got it backwards two mellow makes on on bandcamp uh and mellow makes on twitter thank you all so much for joining me uh we will be back on monday oh you know what really quick i'm going to shout one more thing out which is we've launched the be good and rewatch it uh podcast feed go subscribe to that go look that up if you want to hear us do more of that i think we decided our next yeah, let's go ahead and it, we'll probably announce it before this, but let's, let's just put it in here because we, we we should get better at promoting things because we're we bad should. at that. I had <laughs> somebody like I know who follows me who did not know about waypoints. Yeah. This is we're bad at it. We're it's tough. It's easy to be like, oh well, we said it on the podcast, obviously. Uh, but sometimes people stop listening because we talk about football so much. Um the, the next the next <laughs> uh uh be good and rewatch it uh thing will be um, Unbreakable, the 2000, I thought I knew the year, but I don't know the year. What is the year of Unbreakable? Mm, like 2004, maybe? Um, Unbreakable. 2000. 2000, even 2000, further. 2000, well, pre-9-11, uh, it, which, is, which is an interesting thing. Uh, Unbreakable, the M. Night Shyamalan, uh, Bruce Willis, uh, Sam Jackson film, um, which is a, uh, a timely se- selection ahead of an upcoming sequel called is it just called glass yeah it's just called glass so give that a watch uh and sometime in the next couple of weeks we'll hit that also next week next wednesday we are recording our waypoint 101 of mark of the ninja uh so if you have questions for that please send them in to gamingadvice.com with waypoint 101 question in the subject all right that is going to do it for us until next week peace Hey, you see the darkness is backwards compatible on Xbox now? (laughs) When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 
Wow, Sekiro, you can pause the game. Prepare Ooh, the takes. Jeez. Casuals only. It's pausing integral to the Dark Souls experience. No, it's not. Stop it. It's not. All right. Uh, ten? Sure. I like it. That was aggressive. We're like halfway through seven when you called. Yeah, let's just fucking go. Let's get it. The Boy, spirit of foals be upon you. <laughs> God damn. All right. 